Drew, this is the fifth episode of the Do You Like Apples podcast. I want to apologize to our audience. Uh, last week, our audio was a bit out of whack, and it's it's, it's honestly unacceptable because we are the gold standard of podcasts. I don't ever want to see it happen again. No apologies on this end. This is the future of the fucking podcast, and the podcast is at stake. Let's talk about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Like apples. Like apples. Tom Cruise doesn't stand for for <laughs> tech issues or any issues. He just he does not. He's all about movie making. He is completely about movie making. We are about podcast making podcasts. And um, Drew and I last night we are recording this on Wednesday, July twelfth, and we we saw the new Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Um, and eventually we'll get into some spoiler territories, but this is a unique time for this franchise. This is a unique time for franchise filmmaking. The MCU is uh, fading fast, it seems. Uh, They might be able to rebound soon with um, some new properties coming up later this year. But in an unexpected turn from when Fallout came out a few years ago, not a few years ago, almost five years ago, um, Mission Impossible might have taken over the king of franchises at the moment. And it made me think, specifically for millennials, which is what we are, is this the franchise for us? Um, it, it's it's the long that's the most long lasting at this point, and has the most success. The rare one that keeps getting better and better. Uh, Drew, do you agree, or is there something else out there that sticks out that might might take the cake? Well, if we're just talking millennials only, um, which we're only talking millennials only because that's what <laughs> we are. Um, <laughs> um, I my first thought is always Harry Potter. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I think we were the perfect age when those movies started, you know, we were the perfect age when those books were really starting to gain popularity. Um, so from a, from, but then you you look at the Fantastic Beast franchise, which is you know sputtering out is probably putting it kindly for that one. So um, I, I, Harry Potter is always the first one that comes to mind. But then yeah, if you if you're just talking the most consistent franchise of the last. 20 years it's it's probably mission impossible right yeah i think so because there's been a few moments where the franchise had to reset and while doing that there was never that huge of a dip in quality um the first mission impossible me and you are on the record of it being up there for our favorites uh, might not be our number one uh for me at least but you have uh, Mission Impossible 2 come along, which I tweeted out. If you don't like Mission Impossible 2, but you like Face Off, then you're a hypocrite. Because um, I think that movie has a lot of value. Like Face Off has a lot of value. Um, but I know a lot of people don't like that movie. Um, the king of rebooting franchises, J.J. Abrams, came into the fold, made a really solid entry, but people were not vibing with what um, the franchise was doing at that moment. Uh, but brought back a quality that uh, mainstream audiences needed. And then kind of from, um, not Rogue Nation, Ghost Protocol, starting there, we clearly got a new vibe with the franchise, the marketing of what Tom Cruise was doing as an action uh, actor, started becoming a huge part of the talk of these movies, uh, just what he was doing, 
how much he was risking, not only with his own life, but with his own money. I think he was financially backing a lot of this stuff, became a producer. Um, and I think not just producer by name, starting with the fourth one. I think it was like, no, he's the producer and this franchise is going to live or die with his input and his effort putting into it. And then really starting with Rogue Nation, this franchise started asking a lot more from its audience uh, because it brought in re- recurring characters, not for the first time because uh, uh, Ving Rhames has been there from the beginning. But besides him, we've, we've constantly flipped actors either supporting or leading besides Tom Cruise um, almost in each movie. So, um, and yeah, like I said, at the jump, it, it just keeps getting better and better. And besides Harry Potter, which might have a longer, I don't know if it's gonna have a longer lasting effect. I mean, I'm even questioning that. I think before fallout, I'm saying this compares to Harry Potter in terms of legacy is would have been crazy. So yeah, I, I think we're both, right with our assumptions that Mission Impossible is the king at the moment. And it's not just because of Tom Cruise doing crazy stuff on screen. Tom Cruise doing crazy things on screen definitely helps because like you said, the the first three in the Mission Impossible series were kind of, they were letting a director come in and put his stamp on the movie. And, Mm -hmm. And for that reason, they were, you know, they're three very interesting films, but they're not necessarily cohesive. Um, mm-hmm. as, as a franchise, um, you know, like you said, the, the original remains one of our favorites Two is you know, John Woo coming in, uh, to put his stamp on it, um, for better or worse, uh, mostly worse in the eyes of the audience, but still, yes, you know, sure. very, very stylish and very interesting, uh, interesting, interestingly made film, if not a successful one. And then three is JJ Abrams kind of doing his, um, you know, blockbuster uh, reboot thing um, with obviously aided by an incredible Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. But then, yeah, like you said, once you get to four, where we're kind of just, we're moving into a different phase, which has helped the franchise stay strong and consistent over the last 12 years. I think, I think four, which is ghost protocol came at, came out in, I think 2011 ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you're looking at, you know, each one, each one of the last four, Mission Impossible movies has had a signature stunt. It's had, you know, multiple, um, you know, really expensive and crazy looking action sequences. Uh, it's not just about the spy craft, uh, like in the first one, it's now it's all of a sudden about, um, what can Tom Cruise do next, which is, you know, it's helped it remain popular and, and successful. Yeah. Putting that emphasis on a singular stunt, um, I would think would create, would, would backfire at some point because you're anticipating that one moment so strongly in each of these movies. Um, I think with um, ghost protocol, we weren't, they definitely advertised that he was on the, uh, what's the, the, the tower in Dubai, um, the Burj, Burj Khalifa. The Bur- Burj Khalifa. Like you heard about it. And, but when you saw it, you're like, what that had to be CGI or that had to be green screen. Yeah. But yeah, you, you see the videos, he's on top of it almost running along the side of the glass. And I don't know how they allowed him to do that. I guess they just wanted to hype up the newly constructed uh, biggest and tallest building in the world. And then after that, yeah, like I said, became such a staple hearing about this stunt. And I think this is where we may need to get into some spoiler territory. 
not because of the stunt itself, because it's been all over the mark the marketing campaign. Um, there's these clips going around, not just clips, like 11 minute behind the scene looks at the stunt Tom Cruise is going to pull out in this movie where he's riding a motorcycle off of a ledge, um, straight into a parachute uh, launch. And so that behind the scenes video came out like, didn't that come out like a year ago or like more than six months ago? Yeah, I feel like that video and then the first teaser came out around the same time. Because I think they dropped the first teaser right around Top Gun Maverick, which was almost a year ago, if not a little bit more than a year ago. And the teaser itself was just footage with the theme music in the background and then the behind the scenes uh, footage of his stunt just further signifying that Tom Cruise is trying to save movies in this in this industry. And there's probably a lot of parallels with that mindset in this movie. Um I feel like any great movie and great franchise eventually turns into, is this movie actually about making movies? It's kind of a, a, a lazy way to look at uh, the intentions of a filmmaker, but I think filmmakers and actors can kind of be up their own ass sometimes in ways that I, I fully love. And there, there might be some parallels there. Um, but because of this stunt, I think spoilers, Drew, if you agree, need to start now because we're not going to get fully into the stunt and where it, is in the story yet, but you kind of have to talk about that stunt and if it was ruined or not because of how much marketing we had around it. And, um, this, I, I really enjoyed my experience at dead reckoning part one. Um, but for how high my expectations were from fallout and fallout is close to a perfect action movie for me. Um, I, I definitely wasn't disappointed, but I, I have a lot of questions and while also giving kudos to Christopher, um, McQuarrie and Tom Cruise for asking so much from the audience. So if you're cool, Drew, you want to get into some spoilers? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Um, I'm going to set up the synopsis um, in the best way that I can. Um, so Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt, and the rest of the team uh, start noticing the presence of essentially AI into this world. Um, which they call the entity. And that's the only thing they refer to it throughout this entire movie. And there is a MacGuffin key that they have to find to, or in order to stop this technology from getting into the wrong hands, but plot twist, they're not just stopping a person from using the technology. They are, trying to stop AI, which has become sentient and taking over the world. So they're not just trying to stop world power from perverting this amazing technology. They're trying to stop AI itself, which um, a pretty a, a, a route that this story took that I did not expect at all from every point. There's been technology in the movies, but it's more been technology to enhance the hero's chance of completing this impossible mission. And it, it creates this interesting dynamic of they can't use technology anymore. Um, at certain points, it starts intim- uh, imitating uh, some of our characters and it's confusing Ethan Hunt. It's sending them in the wrong direction. So anyways, that's kind of a loose synopsis of the movie that was so incredibly complicated. I, I walked out of it and was not quite sure yeah, I feel like I do such a good job with good action movies, and this is a really good action movie that I don't really need to care about the dynamics of the plot. But this one, 
reiterated the plot so many times that by the end I got a little bit confused. So, um, Drew, what's your what's your initial thoughts? Um, were you confused like me with uh, the plot, um, and w- were you able to surrender yourself, unlike I was able to do at times? I would say I mostly stayed with it. Um, I think like in all Mission Impossible movies, there's, you know, there's a thing that they need to get and that thing does this thing. And, you know, like, but this time the stakes are just bigger. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's AI, it's the end of the world, which it's always the end of the world. But this time Mm -hmm. it's like the end of humanity uh, at the, at the expense of AI um, and which is very relevant in the news right now. Obviously, yeah. they they couldn't have known how probably relevant that storyline, that villain, the villain of this movie would be, which is, you know, just a faceless, um, a remorseless artificial intelligence. Um, I, I would say f- for the most part, I, I was pretty invested in the story, and I and I don't think I got too confused. I think my my hangups are a little more character based than story based here. Yeah. I think I I don't think I. I got lost in, in the, the plot too much. I think I was following it for the most part. And there's probably a few things that I'm fuzzy on, but um, there, there is, there's quite a bit of exposition uh, dialogue in this, in this movie um, where characters are just kind of like, well, we need to get the key and, and the key unlocks. What, who, who knows what the key unlocks? Does anybody know? Um, and, but I, like I said, I, I was pretty much in on it. Just, I, I found this story, like you said, it's kind of an excuse for IMF, Ethan Hunt, everybody that he's working with to go back to kind of an analog technology, right? Um, which I think is kind of a fun way to do it because you see in each movie, same with James Bond, in each movie, the technology is is uh, is evolving and going up a level. Where in this one, because of the AI can can uh, imitate them and and knock their their advanced technology out they have to go backwards to analog and to make sure they can stay off of, uh, off the grid, so to speak. Um, which I found pretty, pretty fun and like a, like kind of a fresh way to, um, look at the tech in these movies. Um, so yeah, I mean, overall, I, I enjoy the hell out of it. It's, this is the kind of like blockbuster that it's, it's rare for a reason because there's only one Tom Cruise and there's only (laughs) one mission impossible, but it's it's the kind of blockbuster that I just eat up because it's just it's fun and it's got some ideas and it takes its uh, action seriously and it it does something new each time. Um, so I don't know where you want to go with the conversation, but um, I I overall was was pretty knocked out by it. Yeah, and I think just the boldness of the entire story uh, can is really shown in the the really fascinating cold open, um, which I've, I love a movie that gives you almost a, a, a prologue to, to the story. And this one is set on a, um, I think Russian submarine. And you see the MacGuffin of the key being used to what you think is to unlock something, but you kind of realize it's just turning I guess it's unlocking something, but it it's turning something on that you're not quite sure. And in classic Mission Impossible form, they zoom out and it's clearly some type of atomic bomb that it's, they're, they're going to try to set off at some point. Uh, but then you see a new submarine 
come into the picture and you immediately think, oh, this is Ethan Hunt and his team. He's going to uh, stop this horrible act or not accident, this horrible plan from happening. They're going to save the entire world. Like a lot of these movies start off with, there's a smaller mission that they succeed at besides the last two actually, but before fallout in this movie, they typically succeed with that first mission before the, the real bad guy shows up who's smarter and, uh, and, and tougher than they are. And just that's when they start running into trouble. Then this one, they shoot a, a torpedo at this new, uh, submarine and the submarine disappears and then the torpedo that was coming back at them disappears and then the torpedo that they shot starts turning back on itself and they get blown up and you're like we just spent 15 minutes with this crew and ethan hunt didn't show up at all and you're really confused and you're really not quite sure what's happening the what you learn to be is the entity which is the name of the ai um, it doesn't have a face it, it doesn't have a uh it doesn't have like a voice like in 2001 a space odyssey so it's truly faceless and voiceless and I, I really enjoyed that because once you get into the story it sets up a believable foe and doom that you that i haven't quite felt in the movie and it it, it becomes convoluted to a point where i think maybe they could have sewn in a more convincing villain but the the threads of what is a really great movie starts off with a really brilliant cold open that harkens back to pretty old school, um, old school, uh, summary movies, kind of like, uh, um, what's the Denzel one and, uh, with Gene Hackman Crimson Tide Crimson Tide. Yeah. That type of movie where they're just set in one place and uh, they're in one location. And I think this movie early on means to look back cause it, it, we have a, direct link to the original mission impossible, which I think this is the real first look back in the entire franchise. Honestly, um, you, you don't see that very often, um, which I think this first mission impossible is really the only mission impossible you have to see before this movie to, for it to have the emotional impact that you want. And I think this story has a lot of great emotional impact that comes, that comes with it. Um, so yeah, I think that definitely Tr- helps. Yeah, because I, I I rewatched the first one um, the the night before we saw uh, Dead Reckoning, yeah. and it definitely helped to kind of have. I I've seen that movie the the first one probably ten times, but I've it definitely helped to have that refreshed um, with Kittredge, um, who's kind of the uh, the bureaucrat. Uh, I don't know if he is he CIA or NSA or something. I, I think he's CIA. Um, yeah. Yeah, so he he's the guy that that Cruz reports to and is always trying to bring Cruz in, but is always skeptical of of uh, Ethan Hunt. Um, but he doesn't really I, report. That's what's confusing is that Alec Baldwin was the head of IMF yeah, in the last movie, yeah. but R.I.P. Alec Baldwin in this movie, he's still alive in real life. Um, but so he's not. He's not. I guess Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hawk. I would bring him into this franchise. I want <laughs> I Ethan Hawke in this franchise. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, Ethan Hunt. Uh, yeah, I don't even know if he has a boss. So it was really interesting to see this character come back because their dynamic in the first one was was one of the highlights and uh, oh. brought brought an extra edge to this movie that, that it needed. So sorry, I interrupted they, you. They have one of the best scenes in the entire franchise in the first movie. Yeah, at the uh, restaurant Hunt and and Kittredge at the at the all glass uh, yeah. restaurant um, with the uh, with the. Uh, with the uh, fish and that that uh, the the exploding gum, famously. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, you, you're bringing Kittredge back. You're bringing kind of this kind of, and, and honestly, what I love so much about Dead Reckoning is that it it kind of plays the hits of what you expect from Mission Impossible, but it's also it's also kind of doing something fresh for the franchise. And mm-hmm. what I loved about this one is that it kind of combines the kind of the talky, suspenseful espionage of the first Mission Impossible movie with the more stunt centric spectacle mm-hmm. of the recent entries, the Christopher McQuarrie movies of, of the last three and really going back to the last four with, with ghost, ghost protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I, I love that part is that it's, it's a spy movie and you're getting a lot of good spy spy craft and, and, um, and storylines, but at the same time, you're still getting the stunts that you come to mission impossible these days, uh, for. So, I would say that's part of the reason I, I found myself enjoying this so much is because it kind of combines both parts of the Mission Impossible experience. Um, and, it, and it does that by looking back at the first one for sure. And I, I think it makes sense because we're we're coming to the home stretch. I mean, they've announced, obviously, there's going to be a part two to Dead Reckoning. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that's the end of the franchise. I don't think there's any plans to extend it beyond that, or at least with Tom Cruise at the at the center, uh, as far as I know. So it makes sense that they're looking back. To the first film and and also some uh mysterious ethan hunt origin story of some sort which which didn't get fleshed out in this no. one but i'm sure it will in part two yeah i think that's what took me that's what that's been most of my thinking about this movie is because this franchise hasn't looked back and it's always been about moving forward but when you have a, the main character ethan hunt seemingly coming to an end of his storyline it does make sense to look back but that was a a pretty big uh point of this movie is looking back but like you said it doesn't get fully fleshed out there's really confusing for me flashback sequences because uh gabriel who I, i meant to mention earlier with the entity he's kind of the face or the avatar of the entity um and he's played by i I don't fully understand his character like yeah so how how is he the vessel for the entity i don't don't really get that yeah that i could not grasp my head around like he he, he's not using so he's played by isai morales who showed up in uh, master gardener earlier this year and is definitely a that guy in movies who i i love seeing and he brings a, a presence that fits this franchise so well but yeah i just his motivation working with the entity I, I, I just I thought eventually it was going to be like the taking the mask off moment with AI and be like, oh, he's actually controlling the whole thing. But he's really just a tool that the entity is using to further the entity's own plan and desires, which is seemingly just to destroy everything. So each of the side characters. So I'm trying. To, so I think this would be a good point to um, kind of list out each of the parties that are trying to grab the key to regain control of the entity. Cause it was a technology developed by the Russians. It became sentient and turned on them. The key was always there to turn it off, but it killed them. So they couldn't turn it off and the keys combined together to create the true form of the key that you need to take control. So with all that being said, it's very confusing. It, it makes a ton of sense in the movie. It's just a key but they make a key be the most complicated thing to describe because there's two parts of it. So anyway, so right. you have Kittrich, who's the U S representative of the CIA who wants it, I guess, to allow the United States to 
maintain its power or increase its power. But you also have Carrie Elwes, who, gosh, I love seeing him in movies. He's I knew you, I knew you'd love seeing. Yeah, him I know, movies, I know. So. He wasn't he wasn't totally convincing as a, a bureaucrat. Uh, he was the director of intelligence for the United States. I didn't fully buy it, um, but I just love seeing him in movies, and he's he's a he's a good presence overall to to have for that type of stereotype character. Did so, he but play I, a similar part in Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he did because he was. A, oh no, he was a ma- He was the mayor. Oh, the mayor. mayor. Yes, he's the mayor. That's right. Yeah, so yeah. That's he's kind of an authority figure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah authority figure. But so he's the United States as well. He wants it because I, I also got confused by him because him and Kittredge have different motivations, and I think Carrie Elway's wants it because he knows the location and he's gonna he hasn't he just has a lot more possibilities than everybody else does so anyway so that that was kind of confusing we have uh, i'm looking at the character on the fly um she's from the last movie played by uh the the blonde girl uh not rebecca ferguson the uh, the other vanessa kirby vanessa kirby yes uh she just wants the money, which is understandable. You can get a lot of money for this technology. And gosh, I love her. She is such an awesome pres- She's so presence good. in this movie. And it, yeah, just mysterious, um, tantalizing, because she is so beautiful and a complete equal to everybody in this movie, where if it if the calibration of this character is slightly off, you're just kind of annoyed that this character is facilitating the fate of the planet but you're, you're glad that she is because you, you never know where her motivation is fully going to end up. Uh, but anyway, so she's the white widow. That's her alias. And uh, she wants it for the money. Ethan Hunt is this Christ-like figure who's the only, has the only correct sense of moral- morality surrounding it, which is just to destroy it. Of course. It. Um, which is the same case in every single movie, which is yeah. obviously in- incredibly silly, but um, how is there no one else in the world that agrees with him besides his buddies? But um, I don't really care at this point. Ethan is the beacon of hope and the beacon of morality, and I'm comfortable with it. And those are the main. And then you have Shay Wingham, who is playing this character Briggs, who's just a henchman for Kittredge. Um, and he's great in the movie. I, that's another plot line where I just, I know they're trying to bring Ethan Hunt in, but just to foil his own plan. But yeah, that was just, it was like one one too many characters in, in the plot of the movie. So anyway, so there's five converging storylines all on itself. And then somehow all of it is um, hinging on the newest major character in this fran- franchise, uh, Grace, played by Haley Atwell, uh, who is played amazingly by Haley Atwell. I did not expect her to fit this well into this franchise. Uh, I've only ever really seen her as agent Carter and, um, and Captain America. And she was, I thought she was really good, but besides her TV show, agent Carter, she hasn't really showed this type of chops before. And she brought a, a slapstickiness. It, it drew, you said earlier that it just the way AI is being used, we have to get more analog. And she's essentially a glorified pickpocketer and a, a con artist. And they use her really well to ground the efforts of Ethan Hunt because she's 
yeah. Anyway, so Drew, talk talk about Haley Atwell's character. I, I, I imagine you liked her as much as I did in this movie, but um. you know, it, I actually thought she was just fine. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I I I like the character, and I like like you said, like they're getting more analog. She's a pickpocket thief. She's not like mm-hmm. this um, tech mastermind, or she's not like a um, action star. You know, she's just a she's just a thief. Um, and it kind of plays in with uh, Ethan Hunt's character in the first movie. He he has a lot of like sleight of hand. Uh, he shows that it off in Dead Reckoning as well, um, which mm-hmm. which they have some good interplay with that. So I, I I wouldn't say I thought the character was was uh, an excess or anything. I think the character is very important, and I, as you see at the end of the movie, the character is going to be very important in part two. Yeah. I I haven't seen Haley at, at well in a lot before. I, obviously, Maybe like there, you yeah. said, we've seen her in, in the MCU as Agent Carter, and I've probably seen her in a couple other things, but I don't know. I I thought she was just fine. I. Yeah, I, 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 she wasn't necessarily a standout for me. Um, I, I will say the, a lot of the other new characters, kind of, the performances of the new characters, um, did more for me than than hers did. But, um, but, but yeah, you, you, you seem to enjoy it more than I did. So speak. Yeah, on. yeah, I, I, I enjoyed her a ton as the Grace character. Um, they didn't set up Haley Atwell to have an easy transition because. Rebecca Ferguson, who plays Ilsa, um, we we're in spoiler territory. She uh, she dies in this movie, and I think when you're asked to take the best female character in this entire franchise history, uh, taking her out and Haley Atwell taking up the mantle of, of that role um, is is a lot to ask. Um, obviously, Rebecca Ferguson has a lot on her plate. She has that new show Silo that's on Apple TV. She's in the Dune movies. You you see her pop up in pretty much everything, and she 100% deserves it. But yeah, she's such a badass, and she is truly Ethan Hunt's equal. And mm-hmm. what I think I will, I think the, the weave in Grace into the story much better in the second time because she's not competing for screen time with anybody else. Um, so I, I really like Haley Atwell as the Grace character. Um, and then we can get more now into the emotional weight that Christopher McQuarrie expects from grace is incredibly, it it almost jumps the shark of how much they want us to care about this character. And I love the character, but I had no stakes built up with her. So I wasn't quite there with, um, there's a, there's a, um, almost a Western style scene in, um, a, a nightclub where, all of our characters are finally meeting up at the same point. And uh, Gabriel, who's again, the avatar uh, face of the entity, but not the entity setting up this scenario where Ethan Hunt has to choose between, I guess his two loves, which Elsa makes complete sense. They've been in three movies together. They clearly have a relationship. Um, They can't be together. Like all of uh, Ethan Hunt's love interest because, um, when they're together, they're in too much danger. And um, for some reason, Ethan Hunt is not just choosing to save Ilsa's life, which I know is not his. He wouldn't just be like, all right, kill Grace. Like, that's not that's not his nature. And I would not expect him to do that. But that was, that was there's a lot of emotion. Ex- uh, they were trying to build up a lot more emotion in that scene that uh, 
that I didn't fully buy into. Um, and I think that's where you're getting at when you say you didn't love the character of Grace. Or maybe you just didn't like her as much as I. I feel like I'm trying to talk you into liking her more than than you did. But um, is is that where you, you kind of lost her as a character because we expect Ethan Hunt, we just expected him to love her as much as Ilsa and it just didn't fully make sense to yeah. me. Yeah, I... I, I think they try to do some work to uh, make it seem like that would be a really conflicted moment for Ethan, like mm-hmm. choosing between these two women. Um, but yeah, it is, it's a little silly, right? I mean, like yeah. Mission Impossible has done this in almost every movie, but it feels even like right. heightened in this one because like yeah. he literally just met her like either that day or the day before or something. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I get why they, they, did it because they need it to be like, well, anytime someone gets close to Ethan, they die. And that's just Ethan's curse. (laughs) And obviously that ended up being costing, uh, Ilsa her life. Uh, who's like you said, one of the best characters in the entire franchise. And, um, it it sucks because I, I wanted to see her keep Rebecca and keep playing that part. And now she's gone because I understand they need to heighten, create more, um, anger for a more um more uh motivation for for ethan hunt to to uh kill the entity and kill gabriel and all that but yeah i i just wanted to see ilsa more um and she was Mm -hmm. only in not even half this movie probably right she she gets some great scenes but then she's just gone and um replacing her with grace doesn't feel as promising to me, but maybe I just need another movie with, with Haley Atwell's character and I'll, I'll be saying something different. Yeah. I don't remember. I think I saw rogue nation, which is where Rebecca Ferguson was first introduced after it's theatrical run. So I knew enough about um, potentially her role in the movie to um, fully like, except before I saw it that like, Oh, this is a new character. And obviously she comes back in fallout in a really uh, meaningful way as well. Um, but I, I'm just, maybe that's how some audience members felt. It's like, oh, maybe I like the Elsa, but maybe it wouldn't be my first choice for her to come back and fall out and be such a meaningful part of it. Um, so I'm hoping that happens with Grace. Um, cause yeah, like I said, I, I really like the character and she fits so well into the, the new turn of the action in this movie. Um, they had the big stunt at the end, um, which is classic mission impossible. It's being teased up before the movie even came out and during the entire movie, you, you're, you're getting a uh, little Easter eggs of, Oh, it, it's coming up soon. It's coming up soon. And then it comes up kind of at the, uh, at the end of the movie. But before that, um, there's a really brilliant uh, chase sequence in Rome with grace and Ethan hunt, where it's, it's very slapsticky. Like they, they're, they're flipping Ethan's expectations with of grace Um he believes in her ability more than she has. Um, she like, for example, like there's the amazing car chase sequence and you just assume she's going to know how to drive. She doesn't know how to drive. So she's bumping into stuff. Uh, there's a, it's a hilarious sequence when there's a, a beautiful roundabout around a fountain and our uh, new kind of yeah. Yeah. big, uh, big bad who is uh, not big bad, but like the big bad henchman who's played by a, a poem Clementine. Is that how you pronounce her name? Uh, Clementine, Clementine, um, and she's in the Guardians movies. Who I'm glad she's kind of given a chance to not be a bumbling idiot like she is in those movies because um, she she's she's, she's fine in those awesome Guardians movies. 
Yeah, but she's incredible in this movie. Just she's so good in this movie. Yeah, she's she's just a yeah she's a henchman and um, played super well. And you get her. So, anyways, they're running away from her, and Grace is doing this burnout spin around her for what felt like an eternity. And it's just really funny, Ethan. <laughs> Uh, Tom Cruise's reactions to what's happening, assuming she's going to get out of it, not able to get out of it. Um, it just brought a lot of humor into that scene, uh, along with the uh, white knuckling intensity that we, we got from so many different scenes. And then um, it was very necessary, too, because the beginning is is pretty serious. Like the I feel like the first like 30 minutes or more was like pretty serious, like setting up the stakes, setting right. up the story, not a lot of humor. So that was a very necessary like like you said, almost slapstick action scene uh, mm-hmm. with the car chase in Rome. Right. And then, yeah, the, the hand-to-hand combat is a lot different than what you've seen in other movies. It's truly about the hand-to-hand combat. Like, I feel like in Fallout, which has my favorite fight scene in the entire franchise in the bathroom um, with Henry Cavill pumping his biceps. <laughs> um, but throughout a lot of that, they're running into things. Uh, they're flying through mirrors. They're crashing through walls they're trying to grab guns um, they're being hit 20 times and getting back up whereas with the scenes with um the new the new bad henchmen you're getting a lot more close-ups of their reactions to the hits and i feel like there's a, was a lot more focus on how much this would hurt when they're in these fights and you just you, when you're in a mm-hmm. big action franchise like this you kind of forget at times that they're fighting you're you're more worried about the the, the spectacle of it all but this brought it back down to its roots a little bit more. I, I thought the the whole sequence at Venice, I thought was sublime. I, yeah. I loved it. Um, it. It was mostly, like you said, hand-to-hand combat, yeah. the very narrow alleyway um, where, yeah, you really feel the hits and it's, and it's really up close and really violent, um, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's still in a, a Mission Impossible PG-13 way. Right. Um, yeah, and, exactly. then, and then the fight on the bridge at the end of that sequence um, with uh, Ilsa has the sword and that, mm-hmm. that whole sequence was, was awesome. Um, so the Venice, the Venice stuff I really enjoy. And maybe I like this movie so much because I, I like, uh, I love Italy and there's two like huge uh, Italy uh, sequences, but the other one, it's funny. The, so the, the big stunt, like you've been saying has been teased for so long and right. maybe because it was hyped up so much, it wasn't my favorite stunt of, of the movie, I think. I mean, right. it was the big centerpiece stunt, but I feel like of like the action, it was not my favorite part. I think my favorite action sequence was probably at the end where they're the the train cars are falling off the cliff and they are yeah. cli- have to climb through like eight train cars. Um, you see each different train car and how they uh-huh. end up climbing up. I that I've never seen anything like that. That was that was amazing, and I just from like from conception of that scene. For, for what Macquarie and Cruz, how they con- conceived of it to the execution, I thought was just, was brilliant. I, I thought they, they crushed that one. And it was that, that was probably the sequence that I will remember first when I think of, I mean, and it happens like kind of at the end of the movie too. So you're kind of, that's the last like climactic action moment, but uh, that, that blew me away. Yeah. Like, like you said, the, the stunt itself that has been teased for so long wasn't, all that exciting what it led into which i think was the point of the the stunt it was launch yourself off into the climactic scene yeah. um 
again, you, if you really wanted to be a jerk and asshole about it, you could be like, oh, this whole movie is about how awesome movies are and how hard they are to get made. And it's really an impossible process to make a movie. Like it's like, it almost felt like it was that. It's like, hey, we need a transition from um, the built up to the climactic moment. And then the leap off of the cliff was the beginning of our climactic scene. And yeah, the, tra- the train sequence was incredible. I think where it might get some blowback is that, and I don't agree with this at all because I think the staging of it is magnificent. Um, the different train cars, you have the kitchen uh, train car, you have the dining room train car, you have uh, the engine train car. You just have all these different obstacles that they had to get through. And once a lot of our main baddies are out of the way, you think they're in the clear and then there's almost three more train cars that uh, Grace and Ethan Hunt have to get through and just, yeah, really, really beautiful stuff. But it might get some blowback is because you can tell they're on a soundstage. You can tell there's green screen. And for me, that wasn't a problem because um, the, the conceptualizing and executing of that scene is incredible. Um, but I think because of the anticipation of the launch and then going into mm-hmm. a, a beautiful action sequence that is uh, has some signs of, of uh, fakeness to it is uh, might be tough for some people to wrap their heads around, but I think that's just me being a film guy following this stuff every day of my life. It, it kind of getting in the way. Um, and I think most casual moviegoers won't have those reservations or even know that Tom Cruise is gearing up for flying off of a mountain, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, you know, we, we saw this opening night and I'm, I'm curious, um, once, you know, average Joe popcorn sees this movie, are they going to be, totally blown away by it or they're gonna be like this is what this is what big movies should be or are they just gonna be like ah, it's another mission impossible movie pretty cool but i'm gonna move on you know because i feel like fallout really did have a moment um five years ago where it kind of caught hold and 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 really kind of blew people away so i'm wondering if this one will do the same or if it's also a part one so maybe people will be kind of waiting for part two um so i don't know i I do think, I do think I was probably a little higher on Dead Reckoning than you were. Yeah. Um, I, I had some some quibbles with some of the character development. I mean, like like we've been saying, some of the especially the supporting characters, I didn't feel like were totally fleshed out. Um, mm-hmm. They set up some things that obviously are not going to get a payoff until part two, which kind of hurts right. part one a little bit. Um, so yeah, I, you know when we did um, our most anticipated movies of twenty twenty three at the beginning of in January, this was our collective number one, uh, this movie, That's right. was our most anticipated mm-hmm. movie. And I think it was, it was your number one. I think it was my like third or fourth, but then I think I came out liking it a little more than you. So I'm, I'm wondering how do, are you working through your feelings now? How, how are you feeling about, are you, are you let down at all? Or are you just kind of like, it, it was good, but I'm not, uh, not quite as good as I was hoping. Yeah, definitely not let down. Cause I don't think, unless it was truly horrible. I don't think Tom Cruise and Christopher McQuarrie have the ability to let me down with these movies at this point. Um, but I think the convolutedness of the Nate of the plot makes me want a second viewing and need a second viewing. Cause I think with a lot of movies that expect this much from their audience, which please ask a lot from the audience to track what's going on. Um, don't don't spoon feed uh, every plot detail with us. Make it confusing so I can uh, deep dive into these multiple times, and I'm going to. Uh, but I think just the convoluted nature of 
the plot and how they looped in side characters and the new villains and making the big bad villain faceless are all things that took me back from uh, the the anticipation a little bit. So yeah, definitely not a letdown because yeah. all these movies are, um, except for Mission Impossible 2, are, are pretty close to like three and a half to four stars and um, out, out of five. So I, I, I feel good about this movie and where part two is going to lead. And I honestly, of a way a part one can end, um, if you compare it to Across the Spider-Verse earlier this year, um, maybe a better movie, but the way the ending uh, played mm-hmm. out was, yeah. um, you know there's going to be victory at some point um, in that story, whereas this, I just don't, there's not going to be victory. Tom Cruise is going to win in the end. He wouldn't allow <laughs> it any other way. He, but, always, he always does. But because of the way they're throwing an AI, I just, that technology's not going away and i think they're smart enough to even when they succeed in the second part there's going to be a gloom over the rest of the story that it might not continue on with tom cruise but i imagine they'll have some remnants of of a future franchise which i'm i'm fully in on and the stakes were completely earned with the teasing of what's coming next and i think that's what a great tease does and like we were talking about classic millennial franchises like what movies like the lord of the rings did where you knew subsequent movies were coming but where they left the characters were completely earned and i think mission impossible is earning its two movies where most franchises that split their movies up this way um it it grinds my gears a lot but I, i i have enough trust built in with the filmmakers and and the actors and everybody to uh it kind of enjoy the the cap this part one gave to wrap up let's let's uh let's give our rankings real quick not our not a comprehensive ones um but uh give your top seven your your only seven your seven favorites and uh then then i'll go into it if you have yours ready if not i can go am i, am I starting at one yeah uh, go go seven to one okay yeah yeah seven i have mission mission impossible two i think that unfortunately is probably most people's uh seven um Sixth best, I have actually have Rogue Nation uh, in six. Um, that one, which is the first one Christopher McQuarrie directed, I, I think it has some cool stuff in it. it has some cool performances, but it, I think it kind of loses steam in the middle. And I need to watch it again. It's been it's been a while, but I I don't love that one. Uh, fifth, I have Mission Impossible three. Fourth, I have Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Third, I have Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part one. Um, very curious, like you said, if part one is the more maybe darker, maybe more doom laden mm-hmm. movie, what does part two hold for this for this yeah. character in this franchise? If it is the end for Ethan Hunt, you know, is it a triumphant thing or is it more of a victory? But it, there's you know some sadness and melancholy and tragedy in there. I'm very curious to see how they how they do it. Uh, and then number two, I have Fallout. Um, from 2018 and then number one i have the original mission impossible 1996 just absolute classic yeah i mean you having that number one is uh it says a lot because uh that's 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 up there for me too uh so yeah i'll go through my real quick seven to one mission impossible two number six mission impossible three number five dead reckoning part one number four rogue nation number three ghost protocol number two mission impossible the original 
in number one and fall out. So mm-hmm. um, we have a lot in the same order. I think where we differ the most is Dead Reckoning in our list and uh, everything else is pretty much in the same spot. Uh, I think Dead Reckoning Part 1 and Rogue Nation are, um, are in such competition for me right now. I think pretty quickly on my rewatch of Dead Reckoning, it will probably jump Rogue Nation because there's a lot more inter- interesting ideas in Dead Reckoning. Um, mm. But just not executed in the way that I thought it was going to be. And again, that might be a, a, a viewer problem, not the filmmaker problem. So I'm open to it going up my list because I really did enjoy this experience. I thought it was so fun. Um, seeing it with the pack houses is how you need to see it this weekend. And I think it's going to make a shit ton of money. I'm interested because it's weird that's opening up on a Wednesday. I don't really understand how it's doing that. Like, why don't. Is that because of Barbie and Oppenheimer? Are they trying to give it a few more days, like a box I mean, office before? It's got to be. I just didn't even know. I feel like you see this happen like once or twice a year. And I just don't know why more studios don't do it, to be honest. Because, yeah, there's all these movies going up against each other at times. And if they're just randomly ever able to be like, oh, actually, uh, let's put it in on a Wednesday instead of a Friday. I think you can only do that if you have the clout of a Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. Right, you can't just right. be... You can't be past lives and being like, we're going to open up an extended release on uh, on Wednesday. Uh, please clear out the theaters for our, our extra <laughs> screenings we want to get in. Uh, but yeah, I don't understand why they're just able to do it. But it has to be to give themselves a few extra days before they're fully competing with what is going to be one of the greater, uh, hopefully in terms of quality, but definitely most hyped movie weekends that I can remember in a long, long time. Um so yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening. This was so much fun uh, talking with you, Drew, about the new Mission Impossible. Um, I hope you guys didn't hate my intro copying Tom Cruise too much. That uh, That's the best acting I've done in years, and it's the only time I've ever acted. Ear. You blew out my earbuds on, on that one. Oh, yeah, did I really? Yeah, yeah. We had, we had to go to a, a technical difficulties after that. Um, but yeah, guys, this is our fifth episode. We really enjoyed this so far. Uh, join us soon for uh, some Barbenheimer talk. Um, we're, we're, we're teasing, trying to figure out the details of like a movie watch along because August is coming up and it's, it's kind of a dead period. So we're, we're thinking of ways to kind of do a month long uh, watch party with you guys. So more to come on that. Um, follow us on social media at you like underscore apples on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, don't forget, we have a newsletter that is on Substack. Just Give that old Google a Do You Like Apples substack and it should come right up. Enter in your email and you'll get those every single Friday morning, which is when we typically release those. Um, we are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, this episode you'll be listening to on Monday morning. So thank you for waking up early to start the week. And uh, thank you to Ryan Jenkins for the intro music. It's the best part of our podcast. And um, hopefully we can uh, match the quality of that amazing opening as we get better at this. So, But Drew... Uh, I hope we did Tom Cruise justice. Um, he deserves the best. And uh, I think I think we gave it to him. We gave, well, At least we gave him our best. I don't know if it is the best, but we gave him our best. Thanks to our listeners. Thanks to Tom Cruise. Thanks to Shea Wiggum. Do you like apples? Do you like apples?